0: Hello everyone, it's Paul Newbegin here from The Past Podcast with some very exciting news. I am absolutely delighted that Series 5 of The Past Podcast is brought to you in partnership with our wonderful friends at Chefworks, who are our sponsors last time round as well, so it's great to have them back. And as you'll know, they are famous for outfitting chefs, kitchens and front of house all around the world. Chefworks offer a collection of great uniforms, so to check out their full range, you can visit chefworks.co.uk. Thank you again to Chefworks, and it's great to be back for Series 5 of The Past Podcast. Enjoy! Ian Scaramuza is today's chef. Uh, He's today's guest. I'm pronouncing that right, Scaramuza, that's a great surname, I probably should have checked with him, uh, Scaramuza, sounds great to say, Ian Scaramuza, he is a Rue Scholar, and he is also the head chef at In Situ, or In Situ at, in um, San Francisco, so we, we met down the phone, um, and he he is a, a limin talented guy, uh, his CV is very impressive, and very friendly guy, I really enjoyed this chat. natural talker and it was great to kind of e-meet over the phone Um, and he is someone whose career I think we should all be following with extreme interest because he is he is a really really top guy so enjoy the show How long have you been in um, San Francisco for now? Then I've been trying to work that uh, out.
1: Uh, I think it's almost two years now. So yeah, when uh, when Claire opened Core, uh, that was like my first day at in Situ And before that, I was the I was doing all the R and D for Core with Claire.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they've been open to yeah two years, haven't they? So that was make... yeah uh,
1: exact exact same day they opened that I started in Centu.
0: Wow, so that's like that's quite a quite a kind of like change of everything, really. Was it then for you?
1: Yeah, I mean it was a year in the waiting, so it was I was, uh, was kind of ready for it. But the year that I had it was almost almost like a gap year. But the year I had in between uh, leaving my stage at Benue to starting it in situ was I did like head and a clothes club, club core food, I did so much stuff in that one year. So I learned so much, and I got to work with a lot of people. When I was at Hibiscus, I didn't get to do that because I was I was stuck in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, it was good. It was uh, it was a, a bit of a weird year for me, but I actually done a lot of things, a lot more things than I knew we could actually do in a year. What so it, was, uh, it was pretty good.
0: What kind of drove the the change to to go out to America? You know, as soon as you'd been doing so well in London, obviously, you know, you'd been involved in Core, which has become you know such a success. Uh,
1: for me, I think it was when I won the Rose Scholarship with the Masai at Benno, uh I had told Claude I was leaving. Uh, that had been like five years And it was just kind of time I was getting married And there was a few things going on uh, And then when I was at Bennu Corey basically offered to sponsor me So as soon as he said that I was like, you know I can't really say no So if I went back to London Then I would still be doing well in London But I'd regret saying no To like working with Corey Lee So that could be a year It could be five years It could be whatever I want You know what I mean?
0: Yeah well, so, I mean, seeing as I was, I was going to kind of save that one, but seeing as we're on the topic, because obviously I've interviewed a few Rue scholars f- up yeah. until now, um, and you know, you you were there, you were winner in, uh, 2015, I believe. Yeah. That was it. So, so what kind of drove you to, you know, to enter first of all, and, and, you know, what was your kind of experience of it?
1: Uh, well the thing for the new scholarship it was obviously I was working with Andrew so I spent five years with Andrew Fairley I used to always see him going to do judging or doing some things to do with the new scholarship so I was always watching it and kind of reading about it and then he'd talk about it when he came back to work uh, and there was two things so he was the first ever scholar and I was working with him and then I wanted to be the, the second Scottish scholar because he was the only Scottish scholar until me so that was one of the kind of drives and then looking at what you actually gain from it looking at like Andre Garrett, Sat Baines, Simon Holston, all these kinda like guys who've went through it and now they're, they're like pretty much industry figures, especially in, in other Uh I wanted to to see what I could do and then looking at like Mark Butchell, obviously at Long and so all these people that are doing really, really well. Uh and I just thought, you know, that's something I should I should be doing and there's no reason why I can't give that a try. Uh and Andrew and Claude both kinda encouraged it as well so
0: not not that, kind of that it will take part on your menu today, but can you can you remember? Or maybe it will. I don't know. But um, what can you remember? What your winning dish was? Can you remember what you what your challenge was and what you had to cook? Uh,
1: yeah, definitely. I, the, the semi-final it was you were it was guinea fowl and you had to use guinea fowl chicken levels, spinach, and Jerusalem artichoke, and then I did like a breast and guinea fowl a spinach puree. I did like crushed Jerusalem artichoke. Uh, I made a ballantine Out of the leg Made a farce With the levels And stuff like that And then I put pommes souffle on it Because we, we used to do pommes souffle all the time With hibiscus So I wanted to add Something to it And then I made Like uh It was like a Madeira sauce used Like italian vinegar And fresh tarragon uh, That was a semis And that was That was a killer It was I did that <laughs> try, I did the trials For that a good few times uh, At hibiscus And I used to come in my day off And Floyd used to Come in and try it uh, And then the final was it takes you totally out of it because it was a turbine of salmon and salt, and it was lentils, mussels, and prawns. And you had to make, you had, to, you, had you were given a huge saffron mold, and it was huge. Uh, and then you went in the kitchen, you had a whole salmon there, you had like eight salt to fill it. Uh, there was soil, truffle, uh, and no one knew the recipe. Obviously, no one knows that. So <laughs> I just took la Russe, I think it was la Russe, uh and the scoffie and actually found some of the parts of it. Uh, and then you just have to go. There was no point in thinking too much about it. Just go there <laughs>
0: and cook. It's such it seems to me like such a crazy thing to be a part of. Obviously, you know, in the chefing world, you know, you get so many different competitions and so, you know, there's uh, you know, umpteen million things that you could possibly do, but you know, kind of from like a an you know, a nom- novice or amateur foodie like myself, As you mentioned, you know, you kind of, you're looking at the people that have, you know, even just taken part in the Rue scholarship, let alone won it, and you're thinking, bloody hell, these are, these are top, top, top chefs, you know, now, or they're top, top, top chefs for the future.
1: Yeah, I think so, I think you look at, I mean, all of the scholars are always, they're all doing well now, or the guys that have won it years ago, are still very successful, or they've got their own businesses, or, but I think the ones that really stood out for me was watching people like Sat Baines like as a figure in the industry as a cook uh, everything he does the way Mark Butcher goes about his business uh, Sam Houston's huge I think Andre Garrett always looked up to the way he mm. cooks and what he does and then all the younger guys like say Adam Smith who's he's doing amazing things at his restaurant and he was part of the Ritz kind of classic and and you look at him now it's like his food's it looks kind of like he's definitely got his own style so everyone seems to do well Uh, and I think it's the right people that win it Ninety percent of the time, or ninety-five percent of the time—I
0: don't know. Especially, especially your year—that was definitely the right one, right?
1: I hope so. <laughs> and that was that was a big one as well because I think a few of the guys, the guys and the girls that were in the final with me had been in the final previous years, right? So I, I don't know if that was more pressure for them or more pressure for me.
0: Yeah, uh, I yeah, yeah. Was
1: three or four of them had been in the final before, uh, and one of Andre's head chef at the time, uh, Gavin, he was in the final and he was like a strong guy as well and he was like head chef for Andrew Garrick I was just getting on to win I was I was focused I was head down and I, I didn't want to do that again okay. through that whole process again so yeah, do that, it, was, that was my kind of mentality about it
0: do it once and, and win it and then and then you're going to have to do it again <laughs>
1: yeah I mean when I spoke to Andrew about it like when I've got in the semis he was like that's great and I was like okay I mean at least I've got in the semis if I don't win this year and he was like uh, that's not the way you should be thinking about it. He's like, you don't want to be doing that again. He's like, you want to go in there and get it done. He's like, that's not the, the way you'd be thinking about it. Uh, so that kind of switched me on. I was like, okay. Uh, And I kind on of other advice from all the other schools and stuff. And the one thing that stuck with me was Andrew just said to me, like, treat it like a service. Just go in there and treat it like a service. Like, you go through all these different things in a service. You make mistakes, you have problems, you have issues. And, it's like, just go in and treat it like service. And that's kind of the way I, I looked
0: at it. And obviously, you know, like I say, we have had we've had Luke Selby on, we've had Mark on. And as they said, you know, your pro- one of the bits of the prize is that you can basically choose anywhere in the world to go and work. And as you kind of alluded to, you chose to go over to San Francisco, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think the there's two main reasons for me to enter the scholarship. It was obviously one to get the stage, because I think when you're at where I was in my career, where I was head chef in a two-star restaurant, uh, working with probably one of the best chefs in London, if not Europe, uh, it's hard for me to get time off to do that. It's hard for me to ask for time off to do that, and it's hard for anybody to commit to give me that time. So I think doing something like the scholarship, it guarantees you that, because it's part of your prize, and it's part of the reason you do it. And then the other reason was obviously to be the second Scottish scholar, which was more a personal reason, to be honest.
0: Yeah, so what? What kind of made you choose where you did? Was it just some, like you said, you know, you'd you, Corey was somebody that you kind of respected and you'd been following, or was it? You know, were there more kind of reasons around that?
1: No, definitely. I mean, I'd I'd been following Corey Lee from his later days at French Laundry. Uh, I used to always look at what was going on and people that were like different in the industry, or and everyone used to speak about Corey Lee, and then it was he was leaving the laundry to do his own restaurant. And it wasn't Wasn't it going to be, like, a classic French restaurant. It was going to be his Chinese-Korean kind of background. Uh, and I was just kind of fascinated what he was doing. I was watching Benner as it opened. I was watching what the food he was doing. Most of the stuff, I had no idea what it was. So it was more, like, curiosity. Uh, and then, like, I got, like, really interested in Asian foods, even, like, Japanese, Chinese, Korean. Because uh, it's not something, like, I think it's more common now in, in the UK, but when I was kind of coming up I, I didn't see it as much and then I worked with Claude and he had some Japanese influences because him and Sat did a trip in they did a trip in Japan a few years previous so like him and Sat had a few they were using a few different techniques we were playing about with some dashes and stuff when I was working with Andrew and then when I was working with Claude we actually went to Hong Kong we did a pop-up at the Langham and it was like i just started with Claude and they'd been with him a few months and we did this pop-up at the Langham and one day we went for lunch in Dintayfong, uh, where it's now opened in London. Yeah, and that was the on the Shia Long Bows. Uh And from there, like I was fascinated because I spent one of the days in the in the hotel watching the sum chefs work. And I was fascinated yes. on the, the, the technique and the oh, skills
0: of... I'm obsessed all that sort of with that right now. Honestly, I can't stop thinking about, like, just steamed dumplings at the minute. It's, like, so... It's on my mind all the time.
1: <laughs> no, I think when you're working in a, like, French-style restaurant, you do a lot of pasta. And, uh, Andrew had, like, some signature dishes with his pasta. We did some pasta with Claude, and I think he focused so much on that, like, you're never really... You're never exposed to doing dumplings and, and different skins and stuff like that, and when you actually see the technique in it, it was for me it was fascinating and you know? like, you know, I was really interested in it, so I started like reading up on it, like studying on it, and then Corey was actually doing Charlembeau at Bennu uh, and I was fascinated how like, this guy who had been the chef at the French Laundry was making bow at uh, his three star restaurant I think yeah. it was two star at the time and then eventually it was three stars yeah. and it was how he was doing something like a, a humble dumpling and a Three star Michelin, and it looked it looked amazing. So I was kind of fascinated by his kind of technique and his different different kind of just all the different kind of aspects in his menu. What he was what he was cooking, you could see some French techniques, you could see some Chinese, well, a lot of Chinese influence, and then obviously Korean as well. So it was something I was out of my comfort zone.
0: So obviously, you know, I feel like we've done quite a good job already, actually, of covering a lot of your career, but I want to cover a lot more of it over, over the next sort of 30 minutes. But it, yeah. I do want to talk about in situ because it really, it's just the whole idea of it has been fascinating me. And obviously, as I've been kind of doing more and more research on it, it's, it's just kind of, yeah, it's really intriguing me. So I kind of wanted to give you a bit of an opportunity to kind of basically explain it to me as, as well as the listeners.
1: I mean, well, in situ, uh, there was obviously Corey's idea. So, we're revamping the Moma. Uh, they were doing a massive refurb. They were looking at a few big chefs in the Bay Area to take over that space. Uh, I think initially, uh, I think initially Corey actually did a tasting, and his, he was putting forward this sort of like Spanish or kind of small plates style. They, he cooked for the must in the board. They said yes. And as soon as he got it, he turned around and said, no, I've got a different idea. So I think all along he had the idea of in situ, but he was wheeling them in, getting that space. And then he switched to the full concept himself and came up with the concept. And was it's it's very smart. I mean, he's, he's a very smart chef and a very smart guy. So he was like, I want to do an extension of the museum so you get art from all around the world. He's like, why don't we do a restaurant with dishes from chefs all over the world? Uh, it doesn't have to be three star two star one star it's like just people who are pretty much leaders in their their area Uh, and he started basically coming up with that concept so he was contacting a lot of chefs that maybe he knew and a lot of chefs he didn't know Uh, and then it all started from there
0: it's just such a it's such an amazing idea should should mention uh well i should clarify it's the museum of modern art because obviously that yes, 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 yeah moma so um i just love it i love that idea and obviously i love because obviously a lot of people talk about food as art and you know certainly i've eaten in restaurants around the world where they kind of treat it like that but to actually be inside an art gallery, it, it's, it must be so different, it, you know, from everything you've experienced and the restaurants you've worked at. Is it completely different or is it still, you know, it's ultimately it's still a restaurant?
1: No, it is different. It's, uh, I think it's, I mean, obviously I've worked in some top kitchens, some amazing chefs and going in situ where we're doing, I mean, we've got maybe 20, 20 dishes on the menu from different chefs from all over the world and um, trying to Trying to organise that, trying to run that, and respect everyone's separate recipes and what they want specifics and stuff like that is ten times harder than running a a restaurant where you're just you're the chef or you're working under a a big chef and you're you're doing his menu or you can change things and we don't change we don't change any aspects of a dish whether you think you can do something different or better we have to like respect that so trying to work that and its all different preparations and techniques and and doing that for a, a big restaurant is uh, is much harder than anything I've
0: done before sure and obviously like i guess the thing you know thing which which kind of struck me is especially in in now you know now where people travel all over the world to eat food you know so for example i'm based in Leeds in the UK and i know for a fact you've featured michael o'hare on your menu so you know is it kind of like the ultimate compliment for you guys when you know if i were to come and eat and tried the michael hair dish that i said well look there's you know there's no difference it's exactly the same you've produced it to the exact same level
1: yeah i think for us that's that's amazing i mean for instance like michael was i think he was coming out he was on a trip he was going to la i was with his family and i know uh gary usher um, yeah, Michael was putting on like oh some recommendations for San Francisco. So I actually sent him some recommendations and I said like I mean come in and sit with you if you want but I gave him like a list of restaurants uh, and I gave him the option. Uh, and then he came, he came for lunch and I'd kinda of told Cory about him. I mean Cory didn't know who he was. Uh he came for lunch, we gave him like we gave him like dishes from Michel Gerard, Tim Rowe, like we just basically gave him a whole different menu. Uh and then when I was speaking to him after it I was like, Oh, why don't you do a dish? Uh, and I kind of knew I, I knew also a lot about him but I knew like some of his dishes that he was really famous for uh, and obviously his food's very artistic so he kind of worked perfect because it was like yeah. his dish was based on fish and chips but it's really not fish and chips but it's very smart yeah, uh, very artistic very well balanced very well seasoned and and I was saying to him like, I, was, I had two dishes in my head it was like oh his fish dish which we do or I was looking at maybe his, like his pork dish I think he does where like a, it's like an ash and it's like a kind of half, an onion eggshell or a little yes. egg shell, but Yes, yes, like yeah, um, yeah. I, was, I, don't, I don't know exactly where it was, but it was that day two dishes that kind of stood out that I'd seen so many times. Uh, and I was thinking, if we can do one of them, like, it's one of his things the dishes. I'm sure he's done it so many times. Uh, people relate to that with him. And, and then he was like, oh, you should do the fish dish. And that's kind of how it, pretty much how it started, uh, Is, which it was good.
0: I guess, it, you know, because obviously every single one of my guests that i've been you know blessed to talk to you know thinks about food probably every single minute of every single day and really thinks about dishes but why i was interested in having you and we'll move on to you know you're talking about your five dishes now is for exactly that because i guess you know you guys over there you have to take inspiration from all over the world you have to look at these upcoming chefs then work out what dish you know, you're going to cook, and then probably have to, you know, back and forward, consult with them about how exactly to make
1: it. Yeah, I mean, I think at the moment we're sitting on, we probably have about 110 different chefs in the programme already, uh, and that's been from day one. Uh, there's probably maybe a handful that's not been on the menu yet, and that's due to, it could be seasonality, it could be some logistics again getting some ingredients, or, but we basically ticked off. I'd say 90-95% of the dishes now. And we still rotate them. It's not as if we've done it and it doesn't go back on again, so we rotate it. Uh, some dishes haven't come off the menu since day one, like Tim Rowe's lobster and uh, the cheesecake from tickets, which I think they're now doing cakes and bubbles in London. Uh, so some some stuff that haven't come off. But then what we look at is we actually reach out to other chefs. So basically every now and again we'll sit and have a meeting, an inquiry will say, like, give me a list of... Some restaurants and some chefs you think you'd like to be included in the program, or you think like would work in the program, and we go from everywhere. It could be India, it could be uh, Mexico, anywhere where we just give a list, uh, and then from there we can whittle it down, make it a bit smaller, and then we send an email. And if they're interested, then that's how the, the process starts
0: that's just i can only imagine if i you know were i one day in an alternate universe to be a top chef and then to be asked by you guys that's you know that's such an honor you know it must be such a such an incredible thing for these guys to to then have their work you know their work if you like displayed it's so cool how how have you um how have you come up with how have you somehow managed to to think of five dishes that you're going to tell me that are your favorites
1: uh, when I when I actually I, I I listened to Tom Shepherd's and I thought his his podcast was brilliant actually because he was going back to stuff when he first started out and like fish pies and and then I was listening to like Mark Blatche's and then I was just thinking about some dishes that stuck out to me or like on my way up or even where I'm at now like it's just like oh I can remember that dish or like something you can when you go to a restaurant and there's just something that's just like stunning or there's a reason for it, and, and that's kind of why I made my my notes. So I think I end up with about eight dishes. But I'll, just, I'll, I'll choose. I'll choose the fifth and we'll
0: see from there. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I do. Yeah, I do have to press five because I've never allowed anybody to have an extra dish yet. So, if I did, oh, right. if I gave you extra, then I think I'd get accused of special treatment. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I don't... So let's uh, let's have your let's have your first dish.
1: I mean, I think the first one's quite obvious. It's the Andrew really smoked lobster. I know Mark Butcher show used this one as well, but I think it's uh, something when you go to work with Andrew or you eat Andrew's. It's one of these things that you get half a lobster put in front of you, and I'm sure a lot of people get half a lobster everywhere in terms of thermidor or garlic butter or whatever it is. But the, it's just it's very very smart. as the way, mm. the, way it's, the way we used to we used to get the the lobsters we used to weigh and we used to have two sizes one for the tasting menu one for a cart and there wasn't much leeway on it he wouldn't let it would be 50, 50 grams over the weight and he wouldn't take it so we used to have to weigh every single lobster when they came in uh, they used to be blanched for about maybe I think it was like eight minutes then cooled down and then the process of breaking them down and cleaning them and then smoking the shells was you're talking four hours five hours just, just to get that process all done uh, we were smoking the shells over our whiskey barrel chips then you made a blanc. you put all the lobsters back in the same shells they came out, essentially. Uh, and then you made like a little bit of a, it's like a lemon and lime butter. And then you heated it up on the stove with a tiny bit of water. And then when the steam hit it, the, the kind of smokiness from the shell came off. And then you finished the sauce with that, that smoky uh, butter and added it back in then fresh herbs. And when I was working there we used to do this kind of little salad on the side, it was like a little herb salad with like mango and basil dressing but now he doesn't do that, he changed it, uh, I think he changed it a few years ago and just even made it more simple. But I think when you've tasted that dish or you actually have been part and having to do the mise en place for that dish, it's, uh, you, can, you gain a lot of respect for the simplicity of it and the impact as well. And any pairs that we've like it was, there's so many... So many things about it. It's something so simple, but it was so elegant, and
0: actually, as a chef, it was, it was a lot of work. And from so, from what I can gather, kind of reading about you and doing my research, you were fairly kind of young in your chefing journey when you joined. Maybe you'd been working at two or three places before then, but you know that was kind of your first, you know, experience into Michelin. From what I can gather. Um, you know, obviously yeah. with him, with us, you know, the industry sadly losing Andrew really recently. I, and you know, we were just talking before we went on there that you came over for the service. What what was he like yeah. as, a, as a mentor and a and a chef? And uh,
1: I mean, I think Andrew was brilliant. Like I was working with uh, Jeffrey Smiddle, uh who's obviously Pete in there, and I'd actually worked just met just joined him in, in Glasgow. He was running the restaurant called Etan, and I went there because like I'd read about him. He was making a lot of noise in Glasgow. He's one of the best chefs kind of came back or he was like working in Glasgow so it was, the stuff he was doing was great uh, I looked to go there I went there uh, he interviewed me and he was like oh what's your five year plan and I was like oh, I'm going to work in the scholarship and then I worked with Andrew Fair I had all these stuff and he was kind of laughing at me almost seems like he was like just smiling <laughs> I think it was more about more about my ambition or, or, and I was how I was like so set and what I had a five year plan and I think not a lot of young guys have that and I was like I don't know 18 or something like that I was, I was young but uh, so I worked with Jeff And then actually Just as I started with Jeff He'd actually just bought the Pete in So I was annoyed I was like I just started this guy And he's just bought This restaurant and I can remember saying to him Like I just came here To work with you And you're leaving uh, And he wanted me, keep me To keep me in the team there And all that sort of stuff So then I started looking For my, my way into Andrew's And that was the idea I staged with Andrew Way back uh, When I first started I think I'd been cooking Like four months And the manager At the time Used to work with Andrew And he was like Oh you should go And stage with Andrew fairly and I had to Google him, I didn't know who he was, so I checked out who he was, and I read up on him, and I knew we had this restaurant, Glen Eagles so I was looking at it, uh, I ended up staging, so I staged there for, I think it was a week or two weeks, uh, and it was it was horrible, it was so hard, but it was, <laughs> Andrew was kind of laughing at me, I had black buttons in my jackets, and, and I didn't know half the ingredients in the plate, it was just like a proper eye-opener, and then I was like, shit, I need to learn a lot, and I've got a lot to pick up and a lot to learn if I want to work at this level. So I went back, and then I worked with Jeff. I ended up staying at Airtam for about maybe a year, and then I started hounding Andrew. So after my stage, I went back up again, and I would just phone him every now and again and just say, can I come up and stage? And he let me, and then he kind of sat down with me and he said, like, "Uh, well, what do you want to do here? And I was like, I want to work here. And he was like, what happens if you come here and it doesn't work out and you're not good enough or you're not ready. And I was like, oh, it's better to... I think I said to him something stupid, like, it's better to try and fail than not, not try at all. And he just kind of looked at me. I and mean, then at that time, he didn't have a job. So I just kept on phoning, phoning him and phoning him. And I hounded him for months. <laughs> and eventually, one one day, he just turned around and said, right, uh, we've got a position coming up. I went up to, to meet them, and they told me I had to start in two weeks. And it was just like, if you want the job, it's two weeks' time. And I had to take about maybe... I don't know, it was almost like a three or four grand pay cut to work there. And I was like, okay, that's, I'm doing it. So now I am going there. I was a commie. I was doing canopy amuse. I had to do one day a week on the pots to cover the KP. Wow. Uh, I was doing everything. Uh, then eventually I eventually got to garnish. Uh, we had some great, great chefs. I think we had like uh, Mark Abel, who's Midsummer House yeah. chef. He was, yeah. he was there at the time. So it was me and Mark Abel we were working in the same kitchen for a few years. And then I got on Garmish, and that was like one of the hardest sections at the time. Then I got on to meat and fish, and then I said to Andrew I want to be tourno. And he was like kind of laughing at me because his sous chef was a tourno, I was still a commie. And I'd been there for like a, it must have been like a year or something. Uh, and he was like, okay, so you want to be a tourno, so I'll give you a week to go around the sections with everyone, and then you're on the rotor for next week. then uh, eventually I got I got to be a tourno, I stayed as a tourno for a while, then I got put back on the meat and fish because there was some problems with the guy in the meat and fish at the time. Uh, I was on the pass, and then yeah, it was just it was just. It was a hard kitchen. You at the time when I first started, Andrew was still in the kitchen every day, so he'd come in and do it with the pasta. Uh, he didn't really shout. I think I think I maybe he shouted that a few times in a few years, but when you knew if he shouted that, it was bad. Yeah, and if he lost his temper, it was bad because he never lost his temper. So like, when he turned around and punched a back pass, then you knew you were having a bad service. <laughs> uh, no, he was he was calm. He was very calm. The the restaurants, the, the kitchens are ones the same. The, the kitchen like a machine. that's everything's timed, so everything comes down in timers. Every thirty seconds, you have to call out. So, you say for instance, you're on the meat and fish. You're you're calling two beef. It's going to be five minutes, and then four and a half, and four minutes, it's three and a half. And you're calling that constantly through the service. And then if you're on the garnish, you have to have your garnish up in the back pass by two minutes for the head chef or the sous chef to plate it. Uh, it was just a machine where it they worked you could do 20 covers or 30 covers, and it felt the same wow uh, it was just very disciplined yeah. it was kind of what I needed I needed to go somewhere and just concentrate and, and be like
0: basically just had to submerge myself into that sort of thing and, and just get my head down I think it was uh, obviously uh, like
1: quite,
0: it's obviously quite like an eye-opening experience I guess isn't it and it's like it's that thing of working at that Different level, but did you, you know, did you kind of know? Did you know then that, like this, this is for me. This in world is for me. You know, cooking at this level is this is where I want to be.
1: Yeah, I think when I when I started there, I, I already kind of knew that. But I'd just been working in Glasgow. Uh, I wasn't concentrating as much, and I knew that when I got there, I was a little bit cocky. I was, I thought, you know, I thought I was like, oh, I can do this. But I got it knocked out of me straight away. Like, <laughs> it just, it, they kind of just they reset me within within a month uh, and I knew that's what I wanted to do and then I was I was like focused I was looking at what he was doing I was looking at where the restaurant was like the accolades we had and, and what he was always doing like if he was travelling to London for like odd ceremonies or he was going over to France to eat or you know all this sort of stuff he was doing I was like okay that's kind of what I need to get to yeah. uh, and that was my, my, my kind of drive on it it was, it was just looking at what he was doing and how he was kind of conducting himself and I was like Okay, right, I can do this.
0: So let's uh, let's have your second dish on your menu. Yeah, there are. So my notes. So I
1: took I took notes on my phone
0: here. Well, I'm gl- I'm glad that you've come prepared.
1: Uh, <laughs> I think I think I'll say second dish uh, probably in the right time as well was I ate at the fat duck when I worked for Andrew, uh, and I had the oat moss truffle toast, and it was basically it's a quail cool jelly Langstein cream and four well they were parfait uh, and I can always just remember like everything every flavour was so intense and it was a tiny little dish it was almost like maybe three four spoonfuls like really small and it came out in a kind of gel croquette kind okay, of eggshell kind of dish uh, and on the side was this little truffle toast it came out like perfect truffle toast and there was like moss and it poured like water over dry ice and it, was, it wasn't even the experience it was just like tasting the intensity of the flavours The had this like uh, cream. I think it was pea puree and chicken liver parfait. it was essentially maybe it sounds kind of simple but I can always just remember tasting that and all the layers and how, how strong it was I like
0: the flavours were so intense, but you could taste everything
1: individually, and that kind of, that kind of blew my mind a
0: little bit. Yeah, I mean, so I, I, think that's I my, that's my... I've eaten at the Fat Duck, and I know uh, how special it is, and how much it can uh, it can leave an impression, especially on. I was quite young when I when I went there, and it's it still kind of lives with me since. So, I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you chose somewhere from there for for your menu.
1: No, I think, uh, I think a lot of people, I mean, obviously a lot of people just eating in the fat duck, but I think when you research what they do and, like, see how much work goes into their experience, and, like, I know there's, like, 40 or 50 chefs, that they used to be, and they're only doing 40, 50 covers, but the actual work in the layers of the, the prep and the effort that like, goes into that, I think you, you, have, you definitely have to respect that. Uh, I think they're, they were way, way ahead of their time. Uh so no like, you know, it was mind blowing I, I think I, I ended up eating there I think I ate there three times uh, wow. before it changed over and know they changed the concept a little bit yeah uh, yeah two of the same two of the same times was the exact same menu and it was still just as good and then I was, I was blown away by how consistent it was as well uh, it was just it's a crazy place it's uh, it amazing and I even done by Heston I think what he does at dinner by Heston I think I actually really look up to Ashley Palmer Watson the way that he's worked with Heston for so long and the way they created Dinner by Heston and how consistent that is for such a busy restaurant. And obviously, they're branching out a lot more and they've got Melbourne, but I just respect how how consistent and detailed and it's just, it's
0: a machine. It's, uh, it's just it's a proper craft and the way that they can run that and execute that is uh, fascinating. Oh Well, you'll be pleased to know that Ashley Palmer Watts is actually on this series as well. So you two will be on on the series yeah, together, yes. <laughs> so uh, yeah. It's,
1: it's funny actually because it's one of the... One of the chefs I've actually never met, so like I obviously Claude knows him. I'm sure uh, Andrew knew him. Claire, like a lot of chefs I know, obviously all know him. That's one of the guys I've never actually met. I've met his head chef. I've met his pastry chef. I know a few guys that work there, but I've never actually met him. Uh, but no, I'm fascinated the way the way he works and what
0: he's achieved and all that sort of stuff as well. Yeah, I've, I've met him. I've met him twice now, and each time it's uh, it's blown my mind a little bit that I'm sat there chatting with him. And it's uh, especially because for me that was kind of the the first lot that got me into cooking was the fat duck. And like I say, it was the first yeah. first sort of experience like that that I'd ever done. Um, yeah, it kind of blows my mind a little bit to say that uh, you know that he. Uh, I've met him twice. It's, it's a bit crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously, you know, you said that, um, you know, you'd set this goal out and you wanted to go up to to work with Andrew Fairley. And obviously, you know, we're fast-forwarding your story that you've achieved that. So what? Yeah. What then? Kind of was it? Was it then looking for more expansion in your career that led the move down to London?
1: Yeah, I mean, a few things happened. So I've been with Andrew for. I think I'd be around for three years. Uh, eventually, promoted me at chef to party. It was after like a year or two years they promoted me. They uh, made, made you wait; like you really had to do your time. And I think for Trilham, by the time I was a CDP, so I was like the most experienced commie in in, in UK. Probably, no, I'm joking. But no, he, he made you wait; they made you really like make sure you were ready. And, and it was all about checking your commitment as well. I think I'm sure. But I think I'd, I got to that stage and then I started taking French lessons. So I went to go to France. And my idea was to go and work for Pierre Gagnier because uh, he was doing some some crazy stuff and it was, like, really out of something I've never really seen before and the way he had these, like, five-part dishes and it was it was really fascinating. So I was looking at going to Pierre Gagnier. So I spoke to Andrew, told him I wanted to go to France. I took French lessons on my days off for a year. Uh... And then from there, I got offered the job at of So the idea was I'm going to go to of learn the language, get into a classic kitchen, which I knew kind of really what to do. And then once I got the language up and I was, like, competent in the language after six months so a year, I was going to try and work for Gagne. And that was my that was my, my plan. So I got the job offer at Gagne, of Savoir, through Andrew. He sent a letter for me. And then when I actually looked at all the logistics, because I wasn't fluent in French and I was coming from, like, Europe they had to start as a commie and I think at that time it was sous-chef with Andrew uh, and I looked at logistics I had I couldn't afford the rent and travel to get to work on my salary and I was like wait what do I do here uh, so I spoke to Andrew and he said stay on for a stay here for a year as sous-chef or a year and a half as sous-chef or something like that he gave me like a kind of timeline he said, stay here for a bit and then see what you want to do next I told him I was going to go to London next that was my next plan and uh, He's like Julie's, like, stay here, be a manager, uh, run the kitchen, and and then get out of London. And I was like, okay, uh, it, was, it, it was perfect for picking a letter and everything else. And then I just basically sat down with spoke about restaurants I wanted to go to in London. I think on the list was Jason Affleck because he was just opening Pollen Street. Yeah, uh, Ledbury, obviously, Brett's what he does at Ledbury is amazing, still is. Uh, I was looking at the Greenhouse With Anthony and Bonnie mm. Before uh, It was actually before uh, Almo Just, just before Arnold took over uh, I wanted to go to the cast To see the cast uh, So I started around Andrew gave him this list And I was like Well I start sending my CV And he just kind of said No it's fine I'll, I'll sort it out So he Either called people Or sent an email Or whatever he did it and all, But he set up all the stages Wow uh, So so from then It was like Okay this is where you, This is your stage up and it was almost, uh, I think, I did everything in a week. I was exhausted, so I went down there. I did one day at Pawn Street, and that was crazy. They were busy, it was they had just opened, they were doing serious numbers. Uh, they were obviously really, really popular. I think Jason obviously still is, but I think that was his biggest one. He just started after Maze, and that was when he was just everyone wanted to see what he was going to do. Yeah, so yeah, part. yeah. It was, Honestly, it was amazing. Uh, I wanted to go, basically what I wanted to do was go somewhere that was doing lunch and dinner because we were only doing dinner at Andrews, and it was it was good. And I think it was I wouldn't say it was never easy, but I wanted to be in that environment where you're doing lunch and dinner because I was worried that I wasn't working hard enough. And I, it's, it's stupid when I think about it now because most restaurants nowadays are doing just dinner or taste menu restaurants, or whatever. But I was worried that people in London or the guys in London were working harder. So I was like, oh, I need to go down there and see what that's about because everyone spoke about London it was like, you know, London this, London that. And I used to eat in London on my on my time off uh, with Andrew, and I did like a stage down at the vineyards with John Campbell, and I actually staged with Sat. Uh, and Sat wasn't doing lunch; he was doing dinner only. But his kitchen was tiny, and it was like three or four in the kitchen. Uh, so I was just curious; I wanted to see it, and I wanted to go and see. You know, everyone talks about working in London; it's the hardest thing. And I was like, okay, that's that's my next my next move
0: yeah that's, so, uh, that's such a that's such a you know good you know shows your work ethic and i think as well it shows it shows that ambition that i think is is just ringing from everything that you say you know you you obviously have such high ambitions of what you wanted to achieve and you know you uh, of what you said earlier you know saying about you know working for working for andrew winning the rue scholarship you know you've done those things and i think that's only come from from your incredible ambition
1: yeah, and I think even at that, I, I I wouldn't see even where I'm at now. I'm I'm nowhere near where I want to be or where I see myself being. It's, it's still as much as yeah, well, as many you, things or whatever. I'm I'm nowhere near where I want to be, and I'm still I'm still in that. I'm still working. I'm still getting my head down and still looking around and, and learning and and yeah. looking at other people, and and I'm still I'm still fully committed in what I'm doing
0: you'll, you'll have an opportunity to tease me with your, your future plans don't you worry um, let's have your <laughs> let's have your next dish for now uh,
1: so next dish was uh, how I, one of the reasons I ended up actually working with Claude so it was his uh, he does a potato egg yolk and truffle ravioli I don't know if he does it at the Bendham, but it was kind of like a signature dish at hibiscus uh, I ate at hibiscus with some uh, Friends from Fairleys I think it was in January we used to close. So every January we'd always go to London and eat at like the biggest restaurants or the newest restaurants. So I went to Hibiscus and had a tasting menu. And he basically does this ravioli, and it's on it's four ingredients. It's so simple. It's uh, his pasta recipe has some whole wheat flour in it, so the texture is a little bit different. It's smoked potato mash inside. There's an egg yolk, just a, a soft, soft egg yolk. It's pretty much raw, and then just cooked so it's still warm. Uh. Truffle puree and fresh truffle, and it was it was so like elegant for something that had potatoes and pasta. Uh, it was just they're very very smart. Like he smokes his smokes his potatoes milk for his mash and smokes his butter for his mash. Makes the mash every day, makes the raviolis every service, makes the pasta every service. Uh, the truffle puree was like three ingredients. I think it was fresh truffle, truffle juice and butter. Uh, and then, so it was an expensive puree, And then, up <laughs> yeah, the <time.
0: laughs> just a little bit. <laughs>
1: but no, no, that was uh, that. Was, I actually had had dinner at Hibiscus, and I was blown away because I, I knew I knew of Claude. And I, he had I had obviously a reputation from Ludlow, and it he, had been open in London for maybe a year. or 2 I'm not sure exactly how long it had been open, but he had a reputation for being this. You know, he was doing some different flavours and different combinations, and uh, and I ate there, and some stuff was some flavours I'd never heard of and never seen but then some things were super classic and super simple and and it kind of it was it was kind of mind-blowing that simplicity of that dish and it's like, it was kind of elegant it was rich it was creamy but it wasn't too big it was just like very smart very well balanced and that one there was like it almost like sold me to say like all right i, I need to see what this guy's doing uh so yeah that was it the potato and pruffle ravioli or potato and egg yolk ravioli at hibiscus uh I don't think he's done it with Bender, I'm not sure, but I'm not sure if he's done it with Bender yet, but this one is kind of almost like a signature dish, it has to be one of his signature dishes.
0: Well, I guess what interested me as well, and I'm sure you've been asked the question before about, you know, the differences in in sort of those kitchens and the differences between two top chefs like that, but what interested me is, I guess, you know, Glen Eagle's is, is so remote and it's, a destination venue, and then all of a sudden, you find yourself in London, where you can, you know, starge in three or four different places in a week, and and it's you know, a, I imagine a much more um, hustling and bustling and crazy lifestyle. Like you know, is that kind of what drew you to then carry on in that you know the cityscape, if you like, to now be in San Francisco? No, I
1: think I think for me, I was I'm from Glasgow, so I'm definitely a city boy. Uh, and then going to Andrews was more about obviously it was the best restaurant in Scotland there two Michelin stars it was out of the way so basically what I was going there was to go there and focus I had to focus I had to get my head down and I stayed away from City I didn't go back to Glasgow too much uh, so I stayed there and I just got my head down when I was there uh, and then obviously I was starting. To, I was missing the city I was five years with Andrew it was a long time yeah exactly I've yeah. been, been in and out of London every year going down to eat restaurants and stuff and I just really fancied it I was like right I think I need to go back to the city I thought about Edinburgh but then I didn't want to go somewhere that wasn't the same level as Andrew and I know you have Tom Kitchen, Mark Wishart there's some amazing uh, chefs and restaurants in Edinburgh but it was almost like okay the next step has to be uh, London and obviously a really busy city so I wanted to work in a busy restaurant like a busy city, I wanted everything that kind of comes with it. So that's kind of why I chose London. Uh, and I think Hibiscus was the perfect fit. It was chaotic in the kitchen, it was busy. Claude was a complete opposite from Andrew. Uh, and it, was just, it was just amazing. It was to see the way that he worked, the way he cooked, the way he ran the kitchen, like the way he ran a service. It was like almost everything that I'd never done before. So it was almost like stepping into a, a whole new environment.
0: And I suppose as well, you know, because I can I can remember it, you know, in those days. And I suppose at the time it it was that, you know, it was that time where you know you had you had Claude, you had Phil Howard at the Square, and it it was just like that. He was put he was pushing, and obviously now he's you know he's gone to, to push even harder, isn't he? Really. Yeah, I think mean, I think, uh, I think it,
1: Hibiscus was obviously Claude's first first time in London, obviously because he went from Ludlow. Then uh, hibiscus was obviously very popular, uh, so no, it was it was brilliant. I mean, Claude never never didn't push you. You, you never had even if we were quiet, we were we were there was no messing around there. It was always very serious, very focused on the food. Everything was super fresh. Like there was no messing about. We done a lot of stuff Alan Minute that you could have probably not have to done or not have to do Alan Minute. But there was so many kind of, sort of standards that he set. Uh, and it was just the way it was, uh, and you just you just did it, and you could have ten booked on a quiet lunch, and you still be doing certain things the minute. And you could have sixty booked for that night, and you still be doing the same things the minute. And it was the standard; he you know, it was no, he he never let anything slip. It was just like this. that was the way it was, uh, and I loved it. I, I thought it was brilliant.
0: So you've just you've also another trip that you made over to the UK relatively recently was your night at Obsession. Yeah. Um, and obviously I was over there last year And covered it um, And covered a couple of days of Obsession So I was obviously a little bit gutted To to miss it this year And obviously miss your night But I heard exclusively incredible things Did you enjoy it?
1: Uh, yeah it was good I mean I think uh, I'd thought about it a lot Because Nigel I think was over in San Francisco uh, And I'd met Nigel a few times Because I did Obsession 2010 with Andrew So I was I went down with Andrew when they did the 10 year anniversary, so that was the first time I'd ever seen it. Uh, I ended up staging with Jacob Jan Borm after that because he was the, the night before us, the guy from Deleste, a three star. So I went there, me and Andrew cooked one of Andrew's signature menus, and I think we did 120 or 130 or something. It was huge.
0: Yeah, so many uh, covers they do there.
1: It was a big numbers, and then as I started with Claude, he was actually doing Obsession, but I didn't go because I was just starting. He actually did obsession as well, and then when I was at Crow Club, Club in between my, my visa, Nigel came back in and actually spoke to Isaac, and then Isaac ended up doing it uh, after I had gone. Uh, so I think I think Nigel was over in San Francisco or he was in America, and somehow we got in contact, and he was like, "Why do not you do it?" And I was just, I was like, uh, "He's like, yeah, like look at your 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 CV, like look at what you've done." He's like, uh, he wanted to kind of promote. I think it's more like up-and-coming or younger guys as well, rather than, like, the, the staple two- and three-star chefs and stuff like that. Uh, and I was just, like, straight up, I was just like, yep, okay, right, let's do it. Uh, so that was brilliant. I mean, I did the whole menu with dishes that I'd never actually cooked. It was just dishes I'd been thinking about. I did a few trials up and run, on the run-up to it, but nothing too much. Uh, and on the day, I was, I kind of flew over myself uh, all my mise en place. I did, I, I did about, say, 70% of mise en place and sauces and all that sort of stuff. I made a lot my, I made more in, like, shakartry. I made more saucy sawn and all that sort of stuff. I brought all that with me. And then I got Ollie Williamson, who was the head chef at Cove Club. So he worked at Bennu. He worked for me at Wasted. So I got him to come and spend his weekend to prep with me. And then I had Mark Abel. Uh, he brought his sous chef on his day off uh, from midsummer to come and do the service with me. And I had Sean, uh, Sean Williamson, who... He, he was, Sean uh, Williams was sous-chef or junior sous-chef or something at Ramsey's. He'd done a few years with Claire and with Matt, uh, and now he's kind of starting to do his own thing. So he came and worked with me as well, so I was quite lucky. So I kind of had really experienced guys and great chefs to come and help me. And
0: I yeah, that's, and I was that just thinking so. that that's some that's quite a good lineup you had there for, of a brigade. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I know, and I had I had, I had prep lists, I had lists of what we were doing, I knew what was what I wanted to do on the plate, but it was all in my head, so, like, on the actual day, doing the tasting and stuff like that, like, these guys were just like, OK, right, what do you want to do? And I'm like, OK, this is the idea, this is the plan. I had everything, all the meat on place ready, and then it was pretty much putting it together, and then before we knew it, we were in service.
0: So was that so, was that a chance, because obviously, like I said, didn't make it, was that a chance for you to kind of showcase your food then?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, it was good because... Obviously, when you're if you work for any big chefs or you work for a, a chef for a certain amount of time, I think if you leave, your style instantly would be starting off as their style, and then eventually the other chefs they find their feet. So anyone that leaves a restaurant and does their own thing, you see the style from the last chefs or the, the chefs they worked with. Uh, and I'd kind of been away from that for like a year or two years. i had been in situ as well, so it was just more like food I wanted to cook. And, and like the flavours I wanted to match and, and still try to keep it really simple but make it elegant and so it was, it was quite good because it was a challenge for me because I'm cooking other people's food so that can be tiring as well because you're cooking other people's food day in, day out and you're respecting other people's recipes and, and then actually try to do your own food it's, it's, like, it's quite a good, it's a challenge for me because it's like, what is my food?
0: Yeah, um, well that's, that's, so that's kind of bit what bit. interested me especially when I saw you um, you know, we're going to be booked there. You know, you kind of already posed the question. Oh, well, so, you know, is he just going to, yeah, is he going to be cooking, um, you know, stuff that they're cooking from in situ and it's other people's dishes or is it actually, is it, you know, is it Ian's food?
1: Yeah, that was one of the things I'd said to Nigel straight away. I was like, you know, like you're taking me on and, and I'm in situ. I was like, I'm doing other people's food. So I have to be kind of clear that I'm not coming to do any of the other chefs. I'm sure I could have asked them and did that, but that'd been easy. and it, was, it wasn't uh, well. That wasn't the plan. Oh, so well. it, was a case, it was like yeah, basically just a chance for me to do what I would see as matters.
0: Well, I'm, I'm even more gutted that I missed it. Now, let's uh, let's have your onto your fourth dish.
1: Yep, so
0: where are we? I know you've got okay. to, you, soon. You're going to have to make a decision between your eight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: and I think definitely number four would be the shellambo. So coily's Uh it's very, very simple. I think he's been on the menu from, I'd say probably, not, maybe not day one, but I think it's been something he's been working on from day one. Uh, but now it's like one of his signature dishes. Uh, and I think the story behind it is pretty pretty fascinating as well because he, I don't think he wanted to do a pasta. I'm sure he wanted to work on a dumpling, but Shalom Bow is something like, it's not the easiest dumpling to prepare. I'm sure any chef can tell you that. But uh, I think he originally started watching them back watching then Tai Fung. So he basically watched them, watched them making them all the time, and then almost figured it out himself and worked on his own dough. Obviously, he worked on his own farce. Uh, and if anyone eats a Ben or you ask them, like it's one of the, the ones that stick out and you get two dumplings. Uh, he, he changes it. Most of the time, it's uh, lobster coral. Uh, and sometimes he does pork and fogger, Uh But I've never had the pork and flogger one, actually when I was there, it was a lobster coral one. Uh, and it was, just, it was just amazing. The work that went into the skin, so the actual dumping skin, the actual work that went into that every day, was crazy. Uh, there was a weight on it for every disc. It was getting basically put through the sheet or tons like five times every sheet. And it took it took hours. Uh, and the fast was made every day. And then that's weighed out to an exact gram. And then he makes them just at the start of the service. Uh Oh, him and I. It was head chef at the time. was making them just at the start of the service, and if uh, it feels like any tables or whatever, like he'll he'll make them to order for your table. Wow! Uh, and it was just it was fascinating. One of uh, the best things ever. Made? And actually seeing it in production and seeing what it goes through every single day to to make it, and the service was 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 uh, mind blowing.
0: Well, obviously you know I don't know how. Um what it's like over there but over here in the UK that's it's becoming very very trendy now all these you know bao and dumplings and dim sum and they're kind of pop, yeah. they're popping up in every single city and i was talking to um, a fellow Scott chef, um my good friend Stuart Ralston uh, from Azel in Edinburgh, about that because he 's obviously very influenced with Asian cooking and stuff, and I just said you know it's it 's crazy when you speak to people like you and him and stuff that are that were there way before all these trendy people jumped on the amount of knowledge and skill difference it takes to do it properly as opposed yeah. to kind of following the bandwagon in some cases.
1: No, I think uh not I don't think a lot of people are doing that very good. I think I mean the top of my head would be one of the kind of smartest guys in London, uh that I know is Andrew Wong, I think. Yeah. He makes his own Shalom bow, he's yeah. very smart, obviously he's he's huge now, he's been he's really successful, but I to A one before I even knew who he was and yeah. I can remember going there. And then I think I had dim sum with Claire one day. We went for lunch, me, Claire, and Johnny, our head chef at core. And yeah. it was brilliant, man, and his technique and his skill. And even him, like, he, he would send me, like, random recipes and say, oh, I'll try this. <laughs> and I would, like, try them. I'd try, like, some, making some of his, like, dim sum or making some of his, like, farses or uh, or his buns and stuff like that. And, and he was, like, so open. Uh, so that's one guy that I think is obviously doing amazing. Uh, but he's one of the guys that are doing things properly. And yeah. Making a little bit of a modern twist on it as well, to a certain extent.
0: Yeah, well, he he actually fed me when I interviewed him last, for last series, and uh, honestly, the food just it blew my mind. It was crazy. Some of the techniques he puts in there is absolutely amazing.
1: No, he's brilliant. I think he's very uh, humble as well. He's like very down to earth, but when you go there and you see the work that they're actually putting in, and he's putting in the work, you know I mean? He's, he's working. Yeah, uh, it's, it's amazing. I think he's uh, he's
0: brilliant. Yeah, well, I'd love. I would actually love to return. I'm thinking of actually going down to Hoi Wong later on this year. So we- we've come to that point. You're going to have to make a difficult decision. Have you managed to to think of your last dish? Yeah, I mean, what
1: I'll do, I'll tell you. I'll tell you like four, the four dishes I had written down. No, you uh, can't. You can't. <laughs> okay, go on then. No, nah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nah, so I had I had a few things. So I was looking at. I think you had the malt the malt cake that Tom does at Hand and Flows. Uh, someone actually I think Tom Kerridge is he's amazing I think the way the way he works what he's achieved and him as, as well as a person as well he's a brilliant chef I uh, had his malt cake from the hand of flowers so I you remember that uh, Andrew's forgot Valentine, but I don't want to give two Andrew's dishes I think it's a bit cliche uh, Corey's barbecue quail from Bennu uh, which as well was a brilliant dish uh, but yeah so the last one I think I'll choose the last one so basically I went to before I left Andrew, he took me to he took us down to he took us to Paris. So it was like, alright, we're doing a we're doing a trip and he took me to me, the head chef, the restaurant manager, uh, I think it was as well. It was a few years he took a few years, and he took us all to Paris and he took us for dinner at restaurants and then he took us for lunch at Le Bristol the next day as like a kinda of, a research trip stroke, I think it was kind of like a leaving thing for me uh, and I ate it last lunch and I'd always been kind of following Pascal Barbeau as well and the story was like I think Pascal Barbeau was head chef at La Page when Claude was sous chef and the year they got three stars so I used to see some similarities with Pascal's foods, uh, obviously uh, like Alan Passard's food and Claude's food because obviously they'd all worked with Passard and they had that kind of some of the, the ideas and some of the techniques and flavour combinations and stuff like that. Uh, so we went to restaurants and we had like a, a tasting menu and I think one of the ones that stood out to me was one of his most simple dishes. It was like a, it was mackerel and it was glazed with uh, miso and it had buckwheat, like toasted buckwheat on top of the skin uh, and then on the side there was this little like parsley puree with like a little pickled sardine and I can just remember trying that and thinking, wow, because it was like miso, buckwheat, mackerel, like oily nutty, like obviously salty uh, and then the pickled sardines and the parsley it was like so well balanced and it was like a tasty menu sized piece of mackerel uh, and that kind of stuck out to me so I think I have to choose that
0: and unfortunately if you've listened to any of my episodes in the past I do make you choose which of those five is your favourite
1: Ah, uh, that's, that's, that's a hard one Uh I think I have to go with Andrew's smoked lobster I think uh, yeah definitely cause I think I've made it, made it so many times and played it so many times uh, and I actually I ate there when I was over for the memorial I actually had dinner uh, that night and I had the lobster and it was still the same it was still the same from I mean what 10 years ago or whatever
0: it was when I started uh, so I think I still have to say that so you've been really gracious with your time, and I'm I'm, I'm I don't want to keep you to your day, um, but I did say that I would give you an opportunity to you know if there were any sort of exciting plans or or to to just to tell me you know how what do you see the future for you where where would you kind of like to go and do, or do or achieve? Uh,
1: I mean, I think everyone obviously says everyone wants a restaurant, or whatever. Uh, I mean, I think you all see that, but I don't know if the, re- the reality of that is that
0: easy uh, I mean I've got a green card for America so I mean
1: I'm working with one of
0: the best Yeah. hey mate sorry that was my line <coughs> hello yeah I, mean, I think uh, hello yeah sorry
1: that was my line sorry mate I uh, always uh, no I think uh, everyone wants to do their own thing or down the lines so I think eventually I'd like to do my own restaurant uh, but just now it's still in process you know I think a lot of people jump into it a little bit early uh, and I don't know if they'll all be around in years to come so I think I'm going about it another way uh, making sure when I do something it's right and it's the right thing in the right time uh, I'm a 33 so I, essentially I'm probably, I'm probably old to some people in the industry but <laughs> But, I mean, I look at people like Corey Lee, he opened his restaurant, I think it was thirty thirty one. so he was quite young. Uh, looking at Claire, was a little bit older after doing her time with Gordon and stuff like that, and now she's opened Core, she's, like, super successful. Uh, so I think something along the lines of, like, what Claire's done or, like, Corey's done or, like, you know, like, Andrew, something along the lines where you take your time and you do it, but when you do it, you, you hit the ground running. Uh, and it's something that's going to stand, you know, it's something that's going to stick. So sure. I think else. Well, I think
0: I think to be honest with you, you know, what whatever you do, whatever your career is going to be from now, it is going to be, you know, it's going to be the the top of kind of you know what can be achieved. Because from your chat, you know, and, and doing my research on you, I'm, you know, you're you're such a massively talented chef, and that just that just sings out from everything that you've said to me today. Um, you're somebody that I've been massively, massively excited about talking to today. Uh, and I'm, I'm really pleased to feature you uh, on this series of the past so thank you so much for coming on
1: No, it's a pleasure, it's brilliant uh, I think it, hopefully my chat wasn't too boring because when I get into it I start getting right into the whole details so.
0: No, honestly it was so <laughs> fascinating learning about your career honestly like my head is spinning of the, of the sort of places that you've worked and the things you've done and like I say I, you know I completely get some what you what you're kind of saying about you know um, working with other people's recipes, but the whole concept of in situ is is something that just fascinates me. Um, and uh,
1: yeah, I think I think when I'm talking to anyone about it and they ask like, "One, why are you going there to cook other people's food?" and not a lot of people understand that. And uh, I get that as well, but at the same time, it's like I want to travel, and it's, I'm one of these people that I want to travel and work in different restaurants and places. And then I found a place where it's like I can be in one place, but you're basically it's like traveling around the world but you're in one place so i learned all this stuff sure uh all these techniques and recipes and chefs like everything about all these places uh and it's in one place and it's it can be a short time as well you know you can pick up that quick quickly uh and then from there you take what you want from it and you can learn a lot from that and you can use some techniques and some ingredients and stuff like that so i think it's for me it's a smart move, uh, it's definitely not something I'm going to be doing forever uh, but I think it's a very smart move and yeah. from there I just need to see what I get from
0: it. Sure, well uh, I'm going to wrap you up on the podcast but I'll keep you on the line so I can say goodbye to you but thank yep, you no thank you so much for taking part uh, and thank you for choosing your, your five dishes. That's a
1: pleasure, uh, thank you for, uh, thanks for asking
0: me. Cheers mate. Thank you. Thanks again to our fantastic series partners, Chefworks. Check them out on social media. Just search at Chefworks UK and Ireland on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. Hashtag Chefworks wearer. If you wear Chefworks and you want to feature or get in touch with us and maybe you can appear as a chef of the month. Now that would be really cool to see a chefy listener of the past feature as a Chefworks wearer of the month. That would be really cool. You can get in touch with me, on twitter as well at the past pod uh, i am also the underscore past underscore podcast on instagram or you can email me with stories of best dining experiences perhaps celebrities in restaurants is always fun uh, i'm at paul at the past and perhaps i will grovel with chef works for an apron for our best email that gets read out on the show that would be cool you can have your own apron chef works apron that would be really lovely to see somebody in that uh, you can take a nice picture for us cheers guys and uh, we will see you next time around on the past
1: podcast cheers